inside your bulletin is the call to worship. It comes from the 89th Psalm. David was confident in God's faithfulness to his word. The 89th Psalm tells us to declare the faithfulness of God. And so will you stand with me and let us call one another to worship with this responsive reading. I will sing of the loving kindness of the Lord forever. To all generations, I will make known your faithfulness with my mouth. The heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the holy ones. Who is like our mighty God, whose faithfulness surrounds him? Now take your Trinity hymn books, the Trinity hymn books. Turning to number 27, great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. Number 27, the Trinity Hymn Book.
Please join me for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. We thank you, Father, for the blessings that we have in you. We thank you, Father, for the peace that we have now and for the hope that we have for the future because of your kindness and your mercy toward us. We thank you that we now can gather together in your name and pray, Lord, that you would come and meet with us. Pray that your name would indeed be glorified as we meet together today. Pray, Father, that you would use the singing of hymns, the opening of your word, the preaching of your word, Father, to bring glory to your name. Pray that you might use it for good in our lives, that we might be strengthened in our walk with you, that we might be more prepared to live before you and our fellow man, Father, with a clean conscience and a renewed desire to bring glory to your name. Pray that you would be with all of those who are unable to attend their houses of worship this morning and ask that you might draw near to them where they are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, because of God's faithfulness, one of the blessed privileges that we as believers have is to be able to come into the presence of our God and to bring our petitions. We can cast all of our cares upon Him. He cares for us. That's his promise, and we are assured of that. So with that in mind, take your hymns of grace and turn to 411. 411 in the hymns of grace, all your anxiety, all your cares, bring to the mercy seat and leave it there. Never a burden he cannot bear. Never a friend like Jesus. 411 hymns of grace.
For our consecutive reading this morning, please turn to Luke 11. We'll be reading um, the first 28 verses. We won't be reading the whole chapter. Definitely a familiar passage of Scripture to many of us as uh, Christ gives instruction on prayer. And then uh, we get the um, idea that how often we should be in prayer, and it's um, often um, we can never come asking too too often. Uh, sometimes I think, I know I'm guilty of, well, I've prayed for that. Uh, this passage uh, gives us the idea that we should pray for that, and we should pray for that, and we should pray for that. Uh, Christ never tires of hearing our prayers. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and said, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are are in bed, and I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you anything because he is a friend, yet, because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. Will he not give him will he not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, will he not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. When the demon had gone, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, He cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Others To test him were demanding of him a sign from heaven. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself laid waste, and a house divided against itself falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub, and if I by Beelzebub cast out demons... By whom do your sons cast them out? So they will be your judges. 
But, I, but if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed. But when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all of his armor on which he had relied and distributes his plunder. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And not finding any, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they go in and live there, and the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. While Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that which you nursed. But he said, On the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. I always find it interesting that when our Lord went to instruct His people on how to pray, He doesn't say, and if you pray, pray in this way. He says, when you pray. It is taken for granted that the people of God will be people of prayer and seek the face of God often. And with that in mind, now let us seek our God together in prayer once again this morning We pray for the Berean Baptist Church in North Wishwith, Australia, with Pastor Troy Kane. So let us seek our God, particularly praying for them this morning. Our Father in Heaven, we, we come before You with great confidence, not confidence that's found in and of ourselves, but we have confidence to approach You because of the work of Your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We do not come confident in ourselves, in our good works, in anything that we've accomplished, but we come because Jesus Christ has taken our sin and has provided us a righteousness which is not our own, but a righteousness that You accept. And therefore, we can come boldly. And we can come with confidence because Your Word tells us that if we seek, we will find. If we knock, it will be opened unto us. We thank You that as we approach You this morning, that we know that You're a good God who will give us good things. And so we would ask that the Holy Spirit would come and minister in this place this morning and do a work that that only You can do in hearts and lives in, in taking the living Word of God and make it effective in the hearts and lives of those who gather in this place to hear it. 
Father, we thank you that you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. We often take for granted how good you have been to us. And even in this past week when so many lost power and had no electricity, we thank you that we've been reminded that even those things come from our God. And therefore, we pray that this morning our hearts are filled with gratitude for all the good things that you give to us, but especially for the gift of your Son that brings to us the gift of eternal life through faith and repentance. But, but we would pray for those who, who, again, are not with us this morning, some because they can't leave their homes right now, and we pray that you would watch over them, care for them, minister unto them, some are not with us maybe because of illness, and we pray that as your will is done in their lives, that your name would be glorified. Father, we're thankful for the wonderful gift that you've given to us in the partnership and the relationship that we have with other assemblies around the world. And Father, we do pray this morning that you would be with the Berean Baptist Church there in Australia. Father, we ask that you might continue to use them for the advancement of the gospel there in that country. We pray, Father, that you will have blessed Pastor Steve Huffmeyer's ministry among them even this, this past weekend as he's ministered to that church on marriage. May you, Father, use it to strengthen families and marriages there in that place. We pray as well that even the ministry that Pastor Cain had with the Banner of Truth there in Australia would again be, be used by you to strengthen ministers to be faithful and have courage and stand firm in the midst of living in an evil, in an evil age. And Father, we pray your blessing upon that assembly. We thank you for those who have recently come in among them. We, we think of the recent report of the young lady who's recently been converted, who, who wants to know you more, has a hunger for you. Well, Father, we pray that in days to come she'll continue to be an instrument of great delight to the people of God there at Berean. Again, Father, we pray that you would draw near to us as your word is open. Use it, we pray, to bring glory and honor to your name as we ask these things in that name which is above every name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now before we come to open the word of God, I would ask that you take your Trinity hymn books, turning to number 54. Number 54 in the Trinity hymn book, again a hymn in which we're reminded of of God's faithfulness to His truth, of God's faithfulness to His Word. It is settled as God has spoken. Number 54 in the Trinity hymn book. Let's stand together as we sing.
This morning we find ourselves again in Deuteronomy chapter 25. Deuteronomy chapter 25. And our passage this morning will begin at verse 11 and go down through verse 16. And in this passage of Scripture, starting in chapter 1, Moses is instructing the people on various laws that have to do with their faithfulness, with with their honesty, with their integrity. And sometimes when we read through these laws, we might scratch our heads and wonder what relevance these things have to us. Because many of the things that are spoken of are not carried on in our society and in our culture. And so last week we considered three different items. We considered the reality that if a man is is found guilty, that he is to be punished. He is to be punished by flogging, but he's not to be hit any more than 40 times Again, it, it, it's a matter of making sure that you're not reacting with vengeance and to make sure that you're not excessive in your punishment. Be, beware of bitterness that might rise up when you've been wronged. And so we're told that this is how we're to treat even those who may be guilty of treating us wrongly. There's to be punishment but it's to be punishment that's dictated according to the law. And and then we had the example of, of not muzzling the ox as he is threshing out the grain. He's allowed to partake. He's allowed to eat a little bit, so he has the nourishment that is necessary. The Apostle Paul uses this principle with regard to caring for those who oversee the church of Jesus Christ, see that they're cared for fairly. And then we had the example of the marriage of a wife whose husband has died and the brother is to marry her so that his name, his inheritance, his legacy continues on. And we were reminded about the importance of of caring for the vulnerable and the weak in our day. And so we have these examples of of criminals being punished, of, of ox eating the grain, of a man marrying his wife's brother because the brother has died. Uh, this morning, as we come to verse 11, we again find some unusual laws. In fact, if you haven't read ahead, when you read verses 11 and 12, you might understand while sometimes this week I thought to myself, oh, I wish I preached topically instead of expositorily. Oh, I, I wish I preached from a text. I wish I was like C.H. Spurgeon, just pick out a text and preach that text and not necessarily preach from a book from the beginning to the end. And that's one of these weeks. 
Because what we read here is a bit awkward. It's a bit strange. But I couldn't help but ask myself, if all the Word of God is profitable, and we believe that, then what is it about these texts, or what lessons should we glean from this passage that, that will do us good as we live in this society and in this culture? And I believe the answer can be found when we come to the end of this passage, when we read these words, look at verse 16. Let's start there. For everyone who does these things, everyone who acts unjustly is an abomination to the Lord your God. So, so here's the warning. If you allow vengeance and your own fleshly passions to determine the punishment of someone who has wronged you, if you've not treated others fairly, if you've not had a heart for the vulnerable and the weak, God says this, in my sight you have acted unjustly. You have acted in an unrighteous matter. And God demands that His people do that which is right and honest, and we ought to be men and women of integrity. God takes note of these things. How you treat others is something that God notices. The, the word unjustly is, is a word that also is translated unrighteously. It, it, it's also called that which is unjust. For example, in, in Exodus 28, I mean not Exodus, in Ezekiel 28 and verse 18, the dishonest businessman is called unrighteous. God wants His people to be righteous. God wants His people to do that which is honest, to be men and women of integrity. So, so keep that in mind even as we take up these other two case laws. For what we have, starting in verse 11, is first of all, an interfering wife, and that's followed by an inaccurate weight, an interfering wife, an inaccurate weight, and then the incentives warranted. So these three things we find from verses 11 through verse 16. First of all, we have the interfering wife. Follow as I read verses 11 and 12. If two men, a man and his countrymen, are struggling together, and the wife of the one comes near to deliver her husband from the hand of the one who is striking him, 
and puts her hand and seizes his genitals, then you shall cut off her hand and you shall show no pity. Now, do you understand why I wish I was a topical preacher? This is not a text I would have picked out to preach normally. But here's the Word of God. It is perhaps an awkward law given to us. It would certainly have relevance to those it was originally written here to here. And I pray that we can draw something from it that will be profitable to each of our lives. What, what can we take away from the scenario of an interfering wife in her husband's fight? It's a very complicated passage. And there are a number of interpretations that are given to this passage. If a man deals with this passage, I'm amazed. At, I'm not amazed, but it, it, it's interesting how many men just sort of pass over this text as though it wasn't there. Or, or if they do address it in their commentaries, they say, yeah, here's the two guys who fight, a woman interferes, uh, grabs privates, and cut off her hand. Which I could write that commentary. <laughs> so it, it is a, a complicated passage, and there are several interpretations. But I want you to notice a couple of things with me from the text. First of all, I want you to notice the background. The background. We have two men fighting with each other. The, the Bible says they are countrymen. The, 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 there's a close relation between these two men. Some of your translations may even say they're brothers. They're brothers that, that end up in a conflict, in a quarrel. But they're, in all likelihood, two men from the same family, from, from the same tribe. And they have this fight. And one of the men takes the upper hand. No doubt one of the men is beating the other. The text makes it clear that this woman draws near to deliver her husband from the hand of one who is striking him. So, so that's the backdrop, the background to this law. Secondly, notice what it says takes place. The wife comes near. The wife sees this going on. Her, her husband seems to be losing this conflict. He, he seems to be almost down for, for the count. The word striking carries the meaning of, of beating or, or wounding. And, and therefore, the wife seeks to deliver her husband. Thirdly, notice her actions. She, she puts forth her hand, or puts out her hand, and seizes, I'll use the English Standard Version, his privates. 
his privates. The original translation is, that excites shame. That which it exposes excites shame. It brings shame. And in all likelihood, what this woman has done has brought about permanent damage and injury to this man that will affect his legacy and his heritage. It might be a law that is closely connected to the Leverite law that we considered last week. Remember, the brother dies and he has no children, and therefore his brother is to marry his brother's wife so that his legacy and his name goes forward. Here this woman has so injured this man that it may prevent him from having children. One commentator says it like this, like the previous law, this law is concerned with the actions that threatens family continuity. Therefore, the unwilling brother-in-law threatens the survivor, survival of his deceased brother's name since he remained childless. This woman's actions threatens the assailant's ability to have children seems to most likely be the point of this law. So that's her action. Her action was evil. It, it was shameful. So then let us consider the punishment. You shall cut off her hand and you shall show her no pity. Now again, there are several interpretations concerning this punishment. The first interpretation says you're to take it literally. And if a woman is guilty of such actions, you're to cut off her hand, chop it off. It's interesting to note that there's no other law in the Old Testament Scriptures that calls for the mutilation of someone's body. Punishment would either be that of a fine, it may be that of a beating, it may even call for death. But there's no other law in which there's the calling for simply the mutilation of someone else's body. And so those are, therefore there are many who reject the idea that this is to be taken literally. Another interpretation goes like this. That what this is calling for is the, the cutting of her palm. Because what's interesting 
in this verse is the fact that when we read these words, then you shall cut off her hand. The word hand that is used here is not the same word that was used previously when we read that the wife comes to deliver her husband from the hand of the one who is striking her, him, and puts out her hand to seize. It, it, when you come to verse 12, the word hand there could be translated palm. And therefore, it's not as, they would say, it is not as severe as cutting off someone's hand, but it is to cut her palm so that she has the reminder that what she did was evil, that there would be pain afflicted in light of the injury she's caused, but cutting off her hand seems so severe. That's another interpretation. The third interpretation, and there are others that I could give you, and, and, if, and if you want to know if, if, if I'm going to be willing to die on any one hill, I'm not in this case, but with what light I have, I trust maybe we'll have some understanding of what's going on, and that is to take this punishment, but not to take it literally. But it is in the nature of the Lex Talionis principle. You know what the Lex Talionis principle is? It's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's the principle. That mandate in punishing those who've done wrong. And, and making sure that the punishment fits the crime. Now, now, where do we find this principle at? Because I want you to see something. So therefore, turn over to Exodus chapter 21. Exodus chapter 21. Oftentimes, when we, when we use this principle, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, we think it needs to be expressed literally. But notice, when the principle is set out in Exodus chapter 21, starting at verse 23... We read, well, let's start in verse 22. If a man struggles, if men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet there is no injury, he shall surely be fined as the woman's husband may demand of him. He shall pay as the judge decides. But if there is any further injury, then you shall appoint as a penalty a life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, and a foot for a foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. That's the principle. Now, how is it worked out? How's that worked out? Well, again, look at verse 26. If a man strikes the eye of his male or female slave and destroys it, he shall let him go free on account of his 
I. You, you have a slave, and for some reason or other, you end up knocking his eye out, and, and his eye is no longer useful. He, he loses that eye. It doesn't say, now you take your hand and pluck your eye out. Eye for an eye. No, what does it say? He's to let that slave go free. There is punishment. There'll be financial consequences for such an action. And therefore, the slave is to go free. Verse 27, And if he knocks out a tooth of his male or female slave, you've got to punch yourself in the mouth and lose a tooth. No, that's not what it says. It says, if that happens, he shall let him go free on account of his tooth. Right. The, 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 the punishment is to match the crime. And because wrong has happened, there is a punishment that, that satisfies the crime that has taken place. The punishment must fit the crime. Whether that's a fine, whether that might be a beating, or whether that might be death. The last thing that we see here in Deuteronomy 25 is you're not to show pity to her. You're to show her no pity. The judge must apply the law impartially, even when there is a, a natural pity for the offender. Why did this woman do what she did? She was defending her husband. She was coming to deliver him. And, and you want to pity her. Wow. What a noble thing. But she did an evil act. And therefore must be punished. And a judge is not to show mercy. He's not to show pity. He's to give her the exact punishment. Now, if he wants to show mercy... He can take off the robe, come down off the bench, and show her mercy by trying to help her with whatever the punishment might be. But as the judge, who is just, punishment must be meted out. The law must be upheld. They are not to let any offender escape the punishment or the penalty that is mandated. When evil is done, evil will be punished, must be punished. Wrongdoing always must be punished. Now, I must confess... I have dwelt on this text all week long. 
And I, I've thought on this text all week long. You can ask my wife. We, we were doing something, and, I, and all of a sudden I said to her, what, about, what do you think about this? I mean, it had nothing to do with what we were doing. It had to do with this text because I'm thinking about it. But even as I was thinking about it, here, here's the punishment. You're to cut off her arm. Or you're to cut off her hand. She's to be reminded that, that radical things must take place so that you do that which is right and good and, and pleasing to God. And as I thought about that, I'm thinking, has anybody else ever instructed anyone else to cut off right arms, right, right, right hands? Has that ever happened? See, some of you are shaking your head. This is what I'm thinking about. And, and I'm thinking about that text in Matthew chapter 5. Turn over to Matthew chapter 5. Most of you are familiar with this text. It's, it's part of the Sermon on the Mount. And, and Christ is calling the people to be righteous before God. And we read in verse 30, and I wonder, again, I, I'm not going to die on this hill, but I wonder if Christ has Deuteronomy 25 in mind when he gives these words of instruction. Verse 30. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than that your whole body go into hell. Now, does Christ expect God's people to literally cut off hands? If, if, I, if I ask you, raise your right hand, would there be anybody here who would have to put up a stub? Because, you know... You knew the temptation of, of using it for evil, so one day you just got out a butcher knife and whacked that thing off. No, it, it, it's not to be taken literally. It, it, it's to be taken that, dear people, we need to do radical things to keep us from falling prey to sexual impulses that will then push us to unrighteous actions. And I, I just wonder, and, and you can do whatever you want to with it, but, but I just wonder if, if Deuteronomy 25 is, is reminding us of the very same thing. You do everything necessary take radical steps to be men and women of integrity and honesty and, and righteousness for, for the glory of our God. And it is not, not one lesson that we ought to draw from this. Not to mention the reality that that when we do wrong, sin will be punished. And, and we've all done wrong, so we all deserve punishment. But, the, but, but there is one who came and showed mercy. 
And God, through His Son, provided mercy to us who were guilty and took the punishment that we deserve and placed it upon His Son that, that our sins might be forgiven and we might be right with God. And some of you might read a text like this and say, wow, what kind of God do these people worship? I mean, how severe is this? You're going to... I mean, if you're going to take it literally, you're going to cut off a woman's hand for performing an evil act? What kind of God do you have? And may I say this? If you're here this morning without Christ, the severity of God's wrath on you one day will be nothing. Cutting off a, a, a hand will be nothing compared to that wrath one day. God is a just God. And sin must be punished. And it will be punished one day in hell for every unbeliever. Or it's punished on the cross by a Savior named Jesus Christ. One of the two places. Evil doing will be punished. Bless God for many of us. That punishment and that penalty has already been paid in Jesus Christ. So there we have the interfering wife. That, that, I, I pray that's helpful. I pray you've gotten something out of it. But then next we notice together the inaccurate weights. The inaccurate weights. Verses 13 and 14. This one will move through much quicker. We read these words. You shall not have in your bags differing weights, a large and a small, and you will not have in your house differing measures, a large and a small. And you shall have a full and just weight. And you shall have a full and just measure. Here's a passage that is easier to interpret and understand. It has to do with that which was common in the business world of these days. And that's to use deception. That's to use lying to get what you want. And we're reminded here that, that God takes note of these things. Oftentimes in business dealings, a man would, would have a scale. And so, if you were to buy five pounds of grain, he would put the five pounds of grain on the scale, and then he would have a weight that would say five pounds, and he would put it on the other side of the scale. And then, supposedly, if there was five pounds of grain, the scale would balance out. However, 
If you had a weight that says five pounds, and at the end of the day, it, it, it really weighs six or seven pounds, and, and you put that on the scale, then you don't have to have five pounds of grain. You, 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 I, I think I messed that up, didn't I? You got to have a four-pound scale, so so that it balances out. Right? But but you're being deceitful in your activity. And so you have the heavier weight. I don't think I've got that right yet. Whichever way it is, less or more, what is it? You want it to weigh more. Yeah. So that you have less grain. The idea is to sell less, but it costs more. That's the idea. To sell less but it costs more. You're dishonest in your buying or in your selling. And what here is forbidden is dishonesty. This calls for a man to be honest. It calls for the children of Israel not to use deception or dishonesty in their dealings. We find this again and again throughout Scripture. For example, in Leviticus 19, 35 to 37, we read these words, You shall do no wrong in judgment in the measurement of weight or capacity. You shall have a just balance, a just weight, a just ephod, a just hen. Those are measurements in biblical times. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall thus observe all my ordinances and do them. I am Yahweh. Don't do wrong. Have a perfect and just weight. Why? Why should you? Because I brought you out of bondage. I delivered you from the slavery you were under. I am Yahweh, your God. I'm a God of truth. I'm a God of honesty. And you ought to reflect me even in your business dealings. Proverbs 11 and verse 1. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. God takes delight in seeing you be men and women of integrity when it comes to your business dealings. God takes note of that. Proverbs 16 and verse 11. Honest weights and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bags are His works. You're, you're reflecting God in your business dealings. Be honest. Amos 8 talks about God's judgment coming upon the land. Why? Because of their dishonest business dealings. And then we come around and we say what we read there in Proverbs 20 and verse 6. A faithful man, who can find? A man of integrity, where are they? Do you feel that way sometimes? Why is it now on social media we read things like, does anybody have a mechanic that they could recommend? 
Because oftentimes, now if you're a mechanic, not all mechanics are scoundrels, all right? But oftentimes you think to yourself, is this guy being honest with me? Do I trust his word? When he changes my oil and then he comes in and he says, "Uh, you know why we were changing your oil this afternoon? We noticed a few things that you might want to take care of. There is the swizzle switch that we think is a bit loose that you might want to change that out before it burns out. There's the fangamadang there in the bottom of the oil pan that we think also needs to be replaced. We think it's near its end, and we'll be glad to switch that out for you for another $500. You know, we don't want to see you get stranded out there. So, yeah, here, here, here's a list of things. Yes, I know it comes out to a bit much, $1,952, but, but we're just thinking of your safety if we can replace these things for you. Now, not every mechanic acts that way, but some do, and therefore we say, can anybody recommend a mechanic to me? It, it, I've got to be careful because I don't. Not, not, I'm, I'm not giving a blank statement, but you know, does anybody have a used car salesman that I can trust? You know, you know how that goes. Or even when you sell your car, what do you do before you sell your car? You go out there and you clean it all up. You get those socks that's been under the seat for the last three years and. You know, turning green, and you get that out of there, and you spray the thing down, and you clean up the engine, and you hope that they come to test drive the car, you know, when, when everything is working, because sometimes it doesn't work, and, 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 and hopefully they won't notice the bald tires and, and so forth. And, and, and so as they're looking over the car, you're thinking, oh, please don't let them see this. Please don't let them see this. Instead of saying, you know what? I want you to know the tires are bald. I want you to know that it's starting to burn oil. I've got to put a quart of oil in it every, you know, three or four hundred miles. I just want you to know that. Because I want to be honest with you in how we deal with things. Moses is saying, listen, when you speak, people ought to trust your words. They ought to know you're honest. That you're not a liar. God takes note of that. God sees that. And He's not pleased. You want to be like God? Let me ask you something. What has God ever said that you've questioned? Is He going to do that? Is God going to do that? God's Word is always true. As we sang already, it's settled. If God's Word said it, it's settled. You you can trust it. And if we're going to reflect God, then, then we need to have words of honesty. We need to have dealings of integrity with those we come in contact with. That's what God's saying here. So, so we have the interfering wife, we have the inaccurate weights, but then thirdly, I want you to notice from the text, the incentives warranted. The incentives warranted. Notice what it says at the end of verse 15, going on to 16. 
that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. For everyone who does these things, everyone who acts unjustly is an abomination to the Lord your God. Moses is telling the children of Israel, when you get into that land and you determine to be a people of righteousness, of integrity and honesty, you will know God's blessing. You will know of God's smile. However, if you walk in dishonesty, if you don't treat others fairly, if you do that which is wicked in His sight, God says, that's an abomination. It's a divine word of disdain. God sees that and, 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 and he, He's disdained by, by those activities. And, and, and if you live that way, then, then you better know my judgment will fall upon you just as it has fallen upon the other nations. So, so take this matter seriously. When you lie and you think nobody knows, nobody can prove it, nobody has any evidence, I'm going to get off scot-free, I'm going to get away with this, can I say it lovingly? It may not sound lovingly, but it's, it's true, my friend. If that's what you think, you're a fool. Because you're not going to get away with it. God takes note of how you live in an evil world. God takes note of how you treat others. God takes note of your integrity, and of your honesty. Why? Why? Because God is a God of truth. And when God brings people into His family, He wants them to reflect Him and therefore be people of truth and honesty and integrity. And which one of us are not guilty? Which one of us can say, I'm not guilty of any of these things? No, we're all guilty. And deserve God's punishment. We deserve His wrath. But He loves us. And He sent His Son into the world and poured out His wrath on His Son. He, he didn't keep a single drop away, but poured the full wrath of His anger upon His Son there on the cross so that everyone turns to Him by faith and turns away from their sins, gains acceptance with God. It's the only way.
God forbid that any of you think this morning, well, I'm just going to turn over a new leaf. Come today. Come February 26th. February 20th. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be a man of integrity. Then God will find me acceptable. No, my friend, He won't. He won't. Number one, you can't do it on your own. But number two, you've already sinned, man. You've already blown it. But there's forgiveness with God. But it comes through His Son. And if you don't think lying is a big thing to God, if you don't think deception, dishonesty is a big thing to God, let's look over to Deuteronomy. Revelation 21. Look over to Revelation 21. And here we have set before us the new heavens and the new earth and the glories of that place. Verse 1 of chapter 21 of Revelation, Then I saw the new heaven and the new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among you, among men, and He will dwell among them. They shall be His people, and God Himself will be among them. Oh, what a glorious place. God will dwell among us. He goes on to say, He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying, or pain, the first thing things have passed away. And He will sit on His throne and say, Behold, I am making all things new. And He says, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Mark it down. You can trust My Word. What a glorious place heaven's going to be. The new heaven and the new earth. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more death. The presence of God dwelling among us. We need to think more about heaven. But that's not my point. <laughs> then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water, of the water, of life without cost. And he who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and they will be my sons. What a glorious day. But, but, but for the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderer, the immoral, the immoral person, the sorcerer, the idolater. Oh, those are all wicked, abominable people. But notice, there's one more to go. Notice. And all liars. Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. 
You think it matters if you're men and women of integrity and honesty and truth? God says, all liars. will experience the punishment of fire and brimstone. It does matter. And so may we be people of the truth, people of honesty, and people of integrity to the glory of our God. And bless God, He's made us new creatures. I'm not that way by nature. By nature, I'll be dishonest. If it benefits me, I'll I'll be deceitful. But, But God's changed that by His grace. Let's pray. Now, Father, we pray that You will take Your Word and make it effective. May it have an effect upon how we live in this world. We, we thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ, and the very reality that, that though many of us, if not all of us, would confess that we have lied and, and we've been dishonest in our lives, but we thank You there's forgiveness with God and, and we do not need to despair because sins can be forgiven through Christ. And, and Father, we pray that as men and women who confess and profess the name of Jesus, that we desire to be like Him. That we might be men and women whose words are, are true. Our, our yes is yes and our no is no. That we might reflect our Heavenly Father who loves truth. And Father, we pray for any who might be among us who are still in their sin. That today would even be the day of salvation that You would be pleased to open their eyes to their sinfulness, maybe open their eyes to their lying, cause them to realize that they deserve Your wrath. May they flee to Jesus Christ who forgives sin even today and changes what a man used to be. So Father, work in hearts and lives and receive all the glory and the honor As we ask these things in your Son's name, Amen. The Trinity Hymn Book 588, 588. Come we that love the Lord, and let our joys be known. Join in a song with sweet accord, and thus surround the throne. We love our God. And I pray that's demonstrated in our obedience to him. 588 Trinity Hymn Book. Let's stand together as we sing.
may God help us to so live that we reflect the God who is faithful in our lives. You're welcome to stay for lunch. I understand there's going to be plenty. So you're welcome to stay for lunch, and then we'll have an afternoon service about 1.30. You are dismissed. Thank you.